It's Wednesday, June 1st. I'm Pam Jones, sitting in for Sarah Y. Kim. Baltimore City has announced a lawsuit against the country's largest manufacturer of ghost guns. Candidate for Attorney General Anthony Brown scores an endorsement from Big Labor. Brooke Learman and Tim Adams lay out their job descriptions for Maryland Comptroller. Baltimore County school officials get raked over the coals again for chronically late school buses. And as the Biden administration reportedly weighs wiping out some student loan debt for millions of Americans, two physicians say... It should be through a lens of racial justice. It's the Daily Dose from WIPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID-19 response and the local news of the day made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Maryland's latest COVID-19 positivity rate has been on a slight decline for the past couple days. Right now, it's at 8.11%. However, the state health department still reported this morning more than 3,300 new cases in a 24-hour period. Hospitalizations have gone up to 476. Of people in Maryland age 5 and up, 92.5% have received at least one vaccine. Just under 52% of those fully vaccinated have been boosted. The Maryland Department of Health is also reporting the year's first heat-related death today of a 65-year-old man in Baltimore County. You can find weekly reports of temperature conditions and heat-related illness and death on a webpage by the Office of Preparedness and Response Extreme Heat, where you can find other resources for tolerating heat. Health officials are reminding Marylanders not to leave children or pets in the car during hot weather, even with the windows cracked, and to check on elderly neighbors or relatives to ensure they have a cool place to stay. Maryland's ghost gun ban takes effect today. The state's ghost gun law bans the purchase, transfer, or sale of any firearm that isn't imprinted with a serial number. Current ghost gun owners have until March 2023 to get theirs imprinted by an authorized federal firearms license provider. We'll have a report on the city's lawsuit coming up. Congressman Anthony Brown scored a major labor union endorsement today in his Democratic race for state attorney general, winning the backing of AFSCME, Council 3, the largest state employee union. AFSCME President Patrick Moran called Brown a man of integrity and said he will make sure working people are heard. It's the latest in a string of labor union endorsements for the former lieutenant governor. His opponent in the Democratic primary, Katie Curran O'Malley, has won the support of Teamsters Council 62 in Baltimore and the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. Delegate Brooke Learman and Bowie Mayor Tim Adams talked about their priorities and what drove them to run for state comptroller during a virtual debate of the Democratic candidates last night. WIPR's Callan Tansel Suddeth has more. Both candidates said diversifying the state's business contracts and maintaining a AAA bond rating are their top priorities. But empowering the people of Maryland is what drove both to run. And so it's so essential that our comptroller be the people's advocate, be an independent voice, ensuring that we're using our dollars to get best value. That was Delegate Learman. Adams said he sees the role as one of an advocate. See, I, I don't believe the comptroller's job is, is that of a legislator, but that of being the independent voice for the people. Harford County Executive Republican Barry Glassman is running unopposed. For WYPR News, I'm Callan Tansel Suddeth. The Baltimore County Council Tuesday again laid into school officials over school buses being chronically late. WYPR's John Lee reports council members called for a change of leadership at the county schools. Democratic Councilwoman Kathy Bevins did not mince words. Get it together. Get it together. Find new leadership. 
do something to make this work. Council members are hearing it from parents about getting short notice about late buses. So when school officials ask for permission to move $5.5 million unspent on salaries and transportation to use elsewhere, that ticked off council members like Democrat Tom Quirk. Where this money's coming from is coming from incompetence and coming from the backs of parents and the backs of our students. School officials assured council members they hear their frustration and are working to fix the problem. Council will vote next week on whether to allow the money to be shifted away from school buses. John Lee, WIPR News. For the first time since the pandemic started two years ago, the National Aquarium is resuming behind-the-scenes tours of its rehab and rescue center at the aquarium's off-site location on East Fayette Street. Behind-the-scenes tours will be offered on the weekends and last about an hour. Visitors will be able to see how staff cares for rescue animals that have been brought into the center for treatment and rehabilitation. Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott announced today that Baltimore City has filed a lawsuit against Polymer 80 Incorporated, the country's largest manufacturer of untraceable, unserialized firearms, also known as ghost guns. Callan Tansel Suddeth has that story. During a Wednesday morning press conference at City Hall, Mayor Brandon Scott called ghost guns, quote unquote, a growing menace to the people of Baltimore. They are a problem, he said, that is only growing more severe. The number of ghost guns uh, we are seeing on our streets and in the hands of violent criminals is growing continuously. From 128 ghost guns in 2020 that we, we seized and recovered to 352 last year and already 187 here in 2022. A law that makes the possession or distribution of a ghost gun illegal in Maryland goes into effect today. But Scott says this lawsuit filed in the circuit court for Baltimore City will ensure people's safety. As long as people uh, who are not legally to allowed to possess a firearm have the opportunity to obtain and build these tools of death and destruction and violence, we will not be able to build uh, the safer future for Baltimore that we all want to see. According to the mayor's office, Polymer 80 is behind 91% of all seized ghost guns in Baltimore. Chris Brown, the president of the Brady Center to Prevent Gun Violence, said by designing, manufacturing, and selling parts and kits to craft unserialized, untraceable firearms to people who do not undergo background checks, the company is intentionally undermining federal and state firearms laws. Polymer 80's primary market consists of those who want to evade law enforcement or who cannot obtain a gun from a federal firearms licensee. Brown says the case is important because while the number of ghost guns is rising in the city, so too are gun-related deaths, though there is no published evidence of a concrete connection. What we have seen over time is a huge increase in Baltimore, as we have in cities across this country, in the sale and the carnage associated with ghost guns. Dr. Joseph Sacharin, a trauma surgeon, the vice chair of clinical operations, and an associate professor of surgery at Johns Hopkins, spoke from the perspective of a clinician who has seen the devastation gun violence causes. 
He says he understands what it's like to be on the other side of that curtain as a family learns their loved one didn't survive. Sakrin says, while mass shootings like the one in Uvalde, Texas last week that resulted in 21 dead, 19 of those children, and the previous week in Buffalo, which resulted in 10 dead, dominate the news cycle, smaller incidents are just as important. Every day in cities like Baltimore, we have young brown and black men, high school students, and even pregnant mothers that are being slaughtered on our streets. There is no one solution to this crisis, he says, but this lawsuit is a start. Tackling this complex public health problem requires us to take a multifaceted approach where we can really tailor our solutions to the specific gun-related injuries. And stopping the unregulated proliferation of ghost guns is one of those steps. Baltimore City Chief Solicitor Jim Shea has confirmed the city is seeking damages, but has not indicated a specific amount. For WYPR News, I'm Callan Tansel-Suddeth. have a four-year college degree, especially an advanced degree, chances are you are among the estimated 41 million people carrying student loans amassing $1.6 trillion. Since 2020, the start of the pandemic, the federal government has paused interest and payments on student debt loans, but that will soon come to an end in August. This past week, all eyes are on the Biden administration, which, according to sources close to the White House, is reportedly preparing to announce a plan to cancel $10,000 in student debt per borrower for 4.6 million people. It comes after months of discussions over how to structure loan forgiveness for the millions of Americans carrying student loan debt, and there will be some specific requirements around income caps. Two physicians co-wrote an essay in Newsweek magazine recently that argues for framing student debt as a racial justice issue. One of the debt relief options President Biden is reportedly considering is to cap the income at which borrowers would have their debt reduced or eliminated. Dr. Jessica Isom is a clinical instructor in the Department of Psychiatry at the Yale School of Medicine. Dr. Carmen Black is an assistant professor of psychiatry also at the Yale School of Medicine. Dr. Black says it's not just an issue of whether or not to cancel student debt. Yes, I've been very troubled by the binary to cancel or not to cancel ideology because there's so many more avenues to have especially as a Black physician, um, proudly identifying as an American descendant of enslaved persons, we are 1% of academic faculty. 1%. We didn't make it here through cancellations, handouts. We made it here through grit, perseverance, and a love for our community. So there are ways that we can responsibly repay our debt, as many of the opponents to student debt cancellation agree with. Yes, we can absolutely repay our debt according to the parameters, public service loan forgiveness, IDR, you name it, we can do it. But that's not really going to address the inequity of how desperately we need frontline physicians after two years of COVID who can afford to enter medicine while building generational wealth. And for those of us identifying in this country for 400 years, closing the wealth gap between between our more privileged colleagues as well. 
Dr. Isom, along with Dr. Black, penned a Newsweek article where she says there should not be a blanket assumption that those who graduate with degrees and lucrative careers such as medicine and law can repay debt equally. We agree with the repaying of the debt and we have the income available to do so. However, distinguishing that from the wealth building that's possible for us and has been impossible for us, I'm also an American descendant of enslaved, per, of enslaved persons, has to be centered in this conversation as well. Um, so, you know, as we talked about in the Newsweek piece, we are graduating often with over $200,000 of debt and 17% of black physicians graduate with over $300,000 of debt. Uh, and throughout our journeys, uh, depending on the, the social um, class that we start this journey from, for me in particular, that was a low income background. Uh, a lot of my debt that's owed, my income that I'm currently receiving, and then everything I received throughout my training, it's not just for sustaining my own uh, life responsibilities, but also that of my family and my network. Um, so it's really important to unflatten the conversation around even our income and how that has to be distributed because of this intergenerational, 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 sorry, intergenerational wealth lack. And there has to be an unflattening of the solutions as well to really center a racial justice, racial equity focus that helps us to do the work that myself and Dr. Black are doing as people working in the public sector um, in spaces that don't actually pay very well, but do give us access to workforce development and also access to patients that um, often are underserved in the communities that we work within. Racial equity in student loan reform, says Dr. Black, must be defined as black professionals affording equivalent resources in comparison to their white counterparts within their same profession. Absolutely. So part of my frustration with the binary to cancel or not to cancel conversation and the income cap is if the entire point of undoing inequitable student loan burden is to increase representation of Black Americans in the highest spaces of career, ed education, livelihood, then to put a cap at how much we can achieve before we're left behind is problematic. So we are absolutely saying, yes, we can repay our debt. Yes, we can afford our bills. Yes, we can afford basic resources. But when we're comparing ourselves to people of privilege with a 400 year head start, 400 year head start in the sense that the our ancestors were used unpaid labor to profit a group, not ourselves. And every step of the way, every day, there has been legislation through Jim Crow laws and every iteration throughout of how to further keep us behind. So those of us who do eke our way into the 1%, yes, we are making good money, no one's going to disrespect those making a lesser salary. But the conversation is, can we in turn help our loved ones, help our community, help ourselves as we hold 1% representation in this space compared to those with a 400 year head start and less debt? More than one in five borrowers have defaulted or stopped making payments on their loans. You can hear Tom Hall's entire interview, America's $1.6 trillion college loan debt problem, by going to midday at WYPR.org. The Daily Dose is brought to you by WYPR, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Big thanks to the WYPR news team, Rachel Bay, Sarah White Kim, John Lee, Joel McCord, and Callan Tansel Suttoth. Our digital content director is Jamala Krimple, and our general manager is LaFontaine Oliver. The executive editor of The Daily Dose is Danielle Irby. Stay healthy, stay sane, and stand together. I'm Pam Jones. Thanks for listening.